When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Schooled with Carla Hulse. Join Carla as she explores K-12 education disruption and has deep dive conversations with ed leaders, ed tech, ed foundations, ed professional service organizations, and ed educators who school her on ed innovations and their impact on educational policy across the country. Here's Carla. Welcome to Schooled. Today is going to be a bit of an origin story, hence the title of today's episode, End with the Beginning. I have a belief that one of the largest contributing factors to K-12 education, and one that has come up during every Schooled episode this summer, is the role higher education plays in creating, sustaining, and perpetuating the academic and socioeconomic gaps experienced in the U.S. And by higher education, I mean pre-service, colleges of education. So joining me today on school is my guest, Dr. John Miller. John currently serves as the Dean of Curriculum and Senior Diversity Officer at St. Norbert College in De Pere, Wisconsin. Prior to his current role, John served as Department Chair and Professor of Social Work at Benedict College in Columbia, South Carolina, and as an Associate Professor of Social Work at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Before I bring John in, I want to share a bit more context. I'll provide you with my rationale behind why I think higher education is a contributing factor to the issues that K-12 education face. We have created a K-12 public education system that has been designed to produce exactly what it is producing. So when I've been talking about this design flaw, I think this is really what I'm trying to get at, that um, not only are the systems that prepare folks for life after college and careers in education, that's flawed. And um, the ways in which we attract people into this profession is flawed. And the preparation and the, the um, requirements to then do the job is flawed. And then we have an entire ecosystem around them, us, who spend their time pontificating about the problems, just kind of talking about the problems, you know, writing books about the problems, creating playbooks about it and checklists about it, but no real solutions. Or the solutions are kind of self-serving. Like if you choose me, I'll help you solve your problem, but we really don't. And so you have to keep hiring me because I didn't help you solve your problem. So I think, again, John, you can totally disagree with me, but I think that I've been trying to unpack all of that stuff to figure out how to 
to actually dissolve and rebuild this thing called K-12 education is. And then as I'm I'm saying it out loud, it's bigger than the school buildings. This this is this is huge. And so what is the problem? Do I have the problem right? Maybe I have the problem wrong. Um, so let's start there. What is the problem? Actually, Carla, I think that your your starting point is a great starting point. So I'll just start there by saying until we think about the questions we're asking, we're never going to get better answers, right? That's number one. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that point you were kind of making there in terms of the the diabolical nature of the way that the problem is often solved by someone who's an expert expert in the problem. And so therefore yeah. I need to be. So yeah, so there is some of that that's built in, but I think that's inherent. That's an inherent, just a part of the flaw we accept by the way we do science in the world, right? So not just in America, but the, the, the scientific enterprise that all doctoral students are taught, regardless of discipline, is that the work that you do as a researcher is built upon what? The works of others. And so mm. you're never really starting with a new idea. You're starting with something that you would be able to find evidence for and therefore back up and support. And so there's Ah. not a lot of theoretical dives into recreating the wheel. And honestly, I think that the question that needs to be thought through is at what point do we just consider, okay, let's blow up the wheel, right? In terms of thinking differently, right? Which is what I think uh, that I I certainly think that that's where you were going as far as just the overall, if we continually get the same result, are we not, you know, then therefore being, you know, insane, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. However, the one caveat is this, the issues that are present are not unsolvable. I just don't know if we have the will or the want to, to go solve those problems. Mm. As I would, as I heard you introduce this topic that we're discussing today, talking about a, a lot of the factors that go into essentially, why are we getting bad products out, out of the factory, right? The factory yes. being people who go into the enterprise. Um, yes. If you're like myself, I was raised uh, right outside of uh, Charleston, South Carolina, a small town called Monk's Corner. Shout out to Monk's Corner, South Carolina. And <laughs> in my small hometown, I was a product of the public school system, like most kids in my in my small town, right? So we went to the public school system and literally from four-year-old kindergarten through through graduation, all of us had the same opportunity as far as whatever our public schools afforded us. I am very grateful for those experiences because I can guarantee you that without the care of what I got as a young boy with teachers who taught me how to listen and how to apply those listening standards to other things that I do throughout my life and teaching me how to think logically and solve problems, the irony of it all is that the further I've gotten in my career, I remember it was a value to be able to think creatively and solve problems and listen carefully so that you get all of the nuance of the problem before solving it. The irony is that the further you go into all things higher ed, all things discovery, is that there's less of a desire for people to be creative and there's more of a burden of what you can prove. And it's very hard to prove creativity, right? Mm. So therefore, if you are given the standard of for something to be deemed scientifically relevant, it must have evidence. In social work, my home discipline, we're very big on evidence-based practice. And mm-hmm. so therefore, what evidence are you seeking? Are you seeking evidence that goes along with the the spectrum of what yeah. we already know to be true, which yeah. are that you can expect low outcomes here, you can expect high yes. outcomes here. And so oh, therefore, boy. and I just wanted to kind of unpackage that for a second and say, yes. a lot yeah. of this stuff is very much already built in. And so if we know that people's expectations 
whether it be of certain racial ethnic groups or whether it be because of our own shame, if I'm going to be honest about it, and our collective shame of not having done more to make some of the inequities that we currently see non-existent, then that's why you're seeing some of that, what I call, we're kind of stuck in a rut right now, where we're not necessarily having a lot of brand new creative ideas. But one of the reasons why we may not be having those creative ideas is because we haven't necessarily wrestled with our own existence of what are we doing here? (laughs) Like, like, honestly, Okay, now you've got next. It's very hard. I'm a believer of existentialism, so I could totally go down that path. Right, it's hard. But, to, yeah. but let, me, let me go into something you said. So help me wrestle with. We're kind of recreating this wheel. So how do? Yeah, how do we stop that from continuing? When who who are the people who need to say, "Hey, we are actually living out a self-fulfilling prophecy here." Right? We right. we see all of these test scores or data points about people in poverty, about about um unhoused students, about black boys. We know the outcomes, but I think we've created a system that just perpetuates those those outcomes. Who needs to who needs to stand up and say that? Like that's that yeah, recognition think, that you're talking well, about. Who needs to do that? Uh, unfortunately, the folks who need to stand up and say it the loudest are the people with the smallest voice in the table. And I only say that uh, in terms of what their voice represents, not their power. So what I mean by that is, is that my family would need it, would have needed to back in the 80s, stand up and say, we deserve, we demand better for John and his peers uh, Mm -hmm. because we know the way this is headed. And so therefore, we know what people say about reading scores and jail beds and fourth grade and this, that, and the third. And so if we are hearing these things, then we are going to cry out as a social justice issue, as an issue of, you know, our well-being, long-term equity, that we need to have communities know that their kids actually have the same chance as everyone else's. But the reason why I said that that's the voice where it needs to come from, and that voice is Uh the voice that's often silenced, is because many people who are in the positions to need to say that may not have been taught that themselves. I don't I don't know if the collective will of our country, uh, our beloved nation, I mean, like I said, I, I to say, one, we recognize these numbers are giving us a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then the second part is, are we willing to do anything about it? So are we willing to do anything about those other inequities that show up in how we school and how we train our young people? Because as a, as a byproduct, it sets the expectation. So if I know I grew up um, in any marker in any neighborhood, then those yeah. expectations have been set before me before I even walk into my kindergarten classroom. So when you say those expectations or those markers, what? give me some examples of that. So again, I think it's it's helping the audience who's listening to us who not, you know, many of whom are not educators and not in colleges of education or at a university. So they're not reading about, studying about this all the time. So I don't want us to kind of use shorthand. So they'll be like, what are you talking about? So sure. what what exactly are you talking about though? So what- Okay, what I'll give a prime about? example. I'll give a okay. prime example, right? So one of the things that uh, a lot of people have done research on is that if someone is in a classroom and they can connect to the person that's teaching them, then they're going to have a better outcome in that classroom, right? In terms of not necessarily that the teacher is going to give them favoritism, but maybe they see a part of themselves in that person who is in their life as a leader or a authority figure. And so therefore it may drive a better outcome. So on the surface, if we're just looking at what constitutes our teachers, right? What are the Mm -hmm. demographics of teachers in K through 12? And then I'll even go higher since speaking as a dean, even in in the world of higher ed, are the disciplines that we teach and lead, are they, are they reflective of the society at large? And so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to go and look at the numbers and see that in most cases, 
teachers who make up the folks who are teaching in the schools do not always represent the communities in which they teach. That in itself isn't a problem by itself because you can have a great teacher and everyone's going to be equal in that classroom. But it does do something about that larger. And that's why it's more abstract. And so I'm glad that you uh, allow me the space to kind of break it down for the listener. Yes, I'm not I'm not I'm not suggesting that you have to have uh, this great diversity in teachers to get better outcomes. I don't believe right. that for a second. Or like this kind you know, of my, one-to-one match is somehow not right. miraculously, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, that's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am saying, though, is that when you have people who go throughout their entire learning career, right? So if by the time I was a kindergartner through 12th grade, through four years of undergrad, two years of grad school, and another four to get the doctorate, if I've gone through 20, 18 years of, of being taught, and I've not once had a person of authority as a black male, right? I'll just give my example mm-hmm. for my lens. Uh, it wasn't until I was uh, deep into my college career as a master's student at the University of South Carolina that I had my first African-American instructor. And by that time, I was 23 years old. Just think about that. Wow. So I yeah. went through, and like every other kid in America, I went to school since by the time I was four or five years old, and I went through 19 years of instruction where in 19 years of instruction, I never saw someone that looked like me leading the classroom, setting this, setting the standard for what we'd be doing. And I didn't realize it while I was living in through it. But when I look mm-hmm. back at it, walking into that classroom and seeing that professor inspired me to do what I'm doing today. And it was something mm-hmm. that I hadn't even ever thought of before, not yeah. because I didn't think I could do it, but I didn't even consider it. And so that's right. what I just wanted to say, that there are so many different avenues. And when I suggest blowing up the wheel, it's not saying destroy everything there is about K-12. through I'm a product of it. But right. what I am saying is, though, until we decide that maybe we need to look at the things that are driving what our results are differently, then we can make those concentrated efforts to say, let's be very serious about our purposeful recruitment retention drives throughout, uh, whether it be uh, undergrad or I would even mm-hmm. say start early. Start early. A lot of our mentoring programs, especially in higher ed, aren't designed to reach students until they're in their upperclassmen level of their undergraduate career. So if I'm someone who is now recruiting a faculty member and I want to then try to create a pipeline, usually my pipeline will begin with students who have at least had some type of college experience and then see if that student would be a good fit for grad school. If we really want to do it differently, why don't we start recruiting kids in seventh grade, eighth grade saying, hey, have you ever thought about being a professor one day? Have you ever thought about doing this? And this is what it would take to get there so that we can have these different influences. So again, uh, sorry, Carla, no easy answers here, right? This is a, no, not we're, at all. We're, I, we're, we're, we're in a big conversation, but I think yeah. that those are the types of tangible things that it just yes. requires us to look at it a little bit differently than maybe we've been trained to look at it. Yeah. And I think what gets lost in what you just said, I, I like how you talked about, you know, kind of going back earlier and looking for folks in seventh kids in seventh and eighth grade. Those experiences that you're talking about happen naturally to many people in this country because of um, either they're middle class or upper middle class or wealthy. So either their parents are those folks or their friends' parents. They're, you know, so there's extended family. So those things are happening kind of by osmosis for children, <laughs> right. right? It's just in their, it's in their blood, it's in the air, because everyone around them are either professors, doctors, lawyers. And so we don't attribute enough um, value for those out-of-school experiences that impact the outcomes of kids in school. Does that make sense? It does. And I will, I will, uh, I'll, I'll say it makes sense, but I'll give you a little, a little pushback here. Right. Okay. It's, it, what's so, what's so interesting about what you just mentioned as far as like the access is yes. that I, I am someone who has zero access, right. But somehow I managed to make it where I am today. So yes. let's talk a little yes. bit about one, how this thing that I'm doing is an anomaly. 
And so, and also <laughs> right. it exposes, it exposes a lot of the myths out there. So let me just address, yes. let, let me address both of these at once. First part of it all is, is that yes, things are made easier in life. And there really is a lot of weight to that old adage, which is, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And my goodness, yes. I hate that as a, yes. as an educator, because I don't want my children <laughs> to think that, you know, Hey daddy, I don't got to do X, Y, or Z thing you're asking me to do because honestly, it's all about who you know. And <laughs> you know, last time I checked, both both my parents are doctors, and so we're going right. to be all right. Again, it's it's complicated, but I don't have a direct yeah, answer. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it is complicated. So then, if if you because you kind of called it a, a a broken wheel, and we need to do something with the wheel. Um, I'm calling it a design flaw, whatever it is. Now what? So what, where should we be pointing our energies a year and a half into a pandemic so that we can slowly start chipping away? And and I'm not looking at the youth because they're not the problem. We, the adults are the problem. So what should we be doing differently? So the first thing I would say is I would point the finger inward to me as an adult and every other adult who's listening to this uh, podcast and say, seriously, Look around where you are in the spaces you influence and are the places you influence doing enough? And I mean that across the board. I mean that Mm -hmm. in terms of your professional, in your profession. So I challenge social work. So clearly I'm on this podcast talking about my profession that I love. But (laughs) even though I love social work, I call us out because social work to this day does not look like the people we serve. And until we decide that we view the clients we serve as potentially our equals, then we'll never advance. And it's the same thing for every other industry, in my opinion. But yeah, on a, totally. but, but it goes I, beyond just that part. It also goes yes. to one second. It also speaks to this notion of: Am I going to be purposeful in terms of who I worship with when I go to my church services? What types of after-school programs are available? I mean, this part of re-breaking or re, re- taking care of the design flaw, since mm-hmm. a lot of the things that are flawed, the system has problems because the system is built to protect itself. But everyone knows that already. So if we already know that, is you it really, really a think everybody knows that already? I think that people, if they're being honest with themselves, can look around and say one of two things. Here's the question. Here's the challenge I give people all the time. Uh, I'm a black man. I go to and I do research on African-Americans. I present stuff nationally all the time. And I'm often presenting a lot of the facts that per the numbers are negative in, negative uh, indicators of African-American identity. Number of yes. people in jail, number of people in educated, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll present a, a, a slew of numbers and then I'll ask the audience this question, which I'll pose to you today in the listening audience. If African-Americans only make up roughly 12% of the country, 50% of the prison population, we have all of these different indicators that show that we have, we earn less money, we die, we die faster. Mm-hmm. Even COVID mm-hmm. has had a negative impact on African-Americans right. at a greater disparity. One of two things are true. Either our system has flaws that we need to address, but we may be unwilling to, or you think that African-Americans are born criminal, born sickly, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. born in a way to where we have our own destruction as our own goal. And I think that when most, (laughs) I don't think that when we look at the the clean slate, which is a a child. So as a daddy, I'm a relatively new daddy. We have a one and a half year old at home, right? (laughs) Yes, you are a new dad. Now, all it has to say is this. When I looked at our son as he was born, I did what every dad, every parent does who's ever been in that room. So here's my question for the audience. And I really want everyone to think about this. If when you look at a child in its purest form, a newborn baby, we will give them good stuff. We'll give them bad stuff, but we can't protect them from the world around them, which is filled with all kinds of stuff. When that child is born, do you really believe that child has a fair chance? And if whatever your reaction is, is it yes, is it no? Then I want you to move on that instinct to do something for your specific area in the spaces that you control. So I think that if we take the big picture approach, it leaves too many people without responsibility to act for things to ever move, Carla. So oh, if I oh, say, totally. 
oh, totally. well, you know, social work got to do this. Teachers got to do that. We'll never move the needle. But if I say I am going to take the personal challenge as someone who wants to be a leader change agent, that not only yeah. am I going to grab as many as I can, I'm going to inform others as well so that we have alliances and allegiances. Because if there are so many people who are for the cause, which this past year, especially in the summer of 2020, when there were yeah. so many different social movements around, if everybody's for the cause, then right. why in the world are we still dealing with these problems, right? Because are you putting your money where your mouth is as far as these are the things that will that it will take the hard part, the part of developing infrastructure. Like right, right now, we're talking about this big infrastructure bill that hopefully will yes. get passed, where there's yes. a lot of work that needs to get done on America's infrastructure. Carla, do we not have an infrastructure problem as far as how we even do education in America? As far as if we really think about the infrastructure of if we do K through 12, but then we got the private schools in there, because if you got right. money, you don't really got to, you can opt totally. out of the public option. Out. And then and then even within the public option, if you got enough money in a neighborhood where you could get influence, you can have charter schools come over there. Yeah. And so if we conceded, right, that yes. maybe we're doing all of these things because we know that something's not right, then I think yes. we begin to answer the problem in a way that we can't just say, well, as long as it doesn't affect my kid. And so that's my challenge to, to everyone in terms of something that I think is actionable taking your own personal responsibility to say that it matters to you enough than to go yeah. beyond the lip service and hide behind, well, I support it, but, you know, it's almost kind of like the not in my backyard phenomenon, right? Where everyone says they're doing it until it comes into their backyard. So I just think purposeful interaction matters. And I know it sounds cliche, but it's very difficult because if it wasn't difficult, we'd already be doing it. Um, in no, terms I get of, that. Uh, but so, I'm, yeah. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the... I understand that if it feels too big, no one can say they are ultimately responsible for it. This is, I think, that cottage industry. It right. feels so big. So I'm just going to write a book about it, you know, make some money. <laughs> I'll do a guest right. speaking gig about it, right? So, but I laid out a couple of things. And one of them is around, if we can just focus on that even preparing social workers or teachers or leaders or all other ancillary staff, if that isn't even adequate, how does just me as a former leader, former teacher, sure, working in my sphere, undo that? Where it is literally a licensure issue, it's a professional standards issue. Those are big things. And so I hear you with the personal responsibility part but how do how can we ever chip away at that if I'm just kind of working at working at it alone in my house in the middle of the woods with bad infrastructure? <laughs> Speaking of infrastructure, no, good good point, good question. No, right. By the way, good point, good question, and I, I and I and I received that. I would say that our pressure points <laughs> come in terms of where we have influence, right? So, for ah. instance, I am a social worker. So, as a social worker, I make a point to be have all my memberships up to date, right? So, I'm a yeah. member of the National Association of Social Workers, which is more of a practice organization. I'm also a member of the Council of Social Work Education, which deals with our policies in terms of how we actually go about training. So, yes. yes. Those are the ways that you can have it, but you're not going to get that immediate satisfaction. Totally, you're not yes, going to get an immediate yes. return on your investment that way. However, yes. um, and so I was given a challenge from up high and the challenge went like this. So you say you care about these issues that you write about so passionately in your book. You mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that so many times people write books about things yes. that talk about problems without yes. solutions. So Correct. in my textbook on African-American perspectives, I wrote a lot about my expertise on identity development and the need for mentoring and the need for people to be able to see an example, see the things that's off the beaten path so that we don't continuously have the same result. We actually do new things. So I got a challenge from God. It was almost kind of like, you believe that? 
You really do believe that? Okay, prove it. Go to South Carolina, go back to your home state, go to a school that's resource poor. They're not Mm going to necessarily have a lot of things to support you, but the rich ground of the young people you're going to influence there is going to have way more impact than the young people you're influencing in Arkansas. And, And by golly, that was right. The opportunity I had to go to and go to Benedict College to be around students who, even though I'm from South Carolina, I probably would have never been in their airspace. It was a purposeful decision to put myself in the place of need as Mm -hmm. a black man who was able to make it through all of my degree hurdles. Right. K through 12. Check. Uh, undergraduate degree check, master's degree check, doctorate degree check, uh, go through all of the things it takes to become a full professor. Check, check, check. When mm-hmm. all of those things were met, it was very easy for me to say, okay, now's the time to be comfortable, but I don't think that would have made me effective. And so the challenge I'm giving for everyone is that if you are sensing these things, today our conversation is about K-12, through and I'm sure that regardless of your perspective, if you've had a child in K-12, through whether it be private or public, you've seen mm-hmm. or felt things that you said, man, that's not right. Something's mm-hmm. not cool there. Well, if that's what you're seeing, then jump in to solve the problem. Doesn't mean everyone has to go become a teacher, but are right. you in the place where you're using all of your time, talents, and resources to actively say, this is my skin in the game. These yeah. are the things that I actually did that I know I influenced the lives of blank, blank, and blank person. Now, here's the trick, Carla. Once you get finished influencing the lives of, say, maybe the 20 people that are just designated for you to uh, mentor or work with who you may have not even considered, you're not just affecting those 20. You're affecting their future children, their future grandchildren, and you're doing it in a way to where, to go back to what we talked about earlier, the people who need to jump up the loudest are typically the people who are the voiceless, which are the people who may be poor or may be marginalized. That means that any opportunity you have to directly and purposefully do individual interventions for people that can go on and help break that cycle, that's how you multiply your influence. So again, I wish there was a more direct path but by yeah. doing things to multiply your influence over time, that's how you chip away at the wall. I don't know if we'll ever get a, to the point where we can do a reset and undo it all. It's very hard to undo four to 500 years of things that have separated us in America. However, I do think that we can build a coalition. And by building the coalition of people who are well-informed, then you have better outcomes, or at least people to push for better outcomes. Yeah, it's interesting. I think... I think um when people don't see the clear path to change, the answer often, as you know, I have these conversations all <laughs> the time with people, right? I'm always challenging, right. always, oh, what can we do? And the answers typically are, it's incremental, Carla, or it's hundreds of years of work. And I'm thinking, really? Um, you know, we always haven't had a U.S. Department of Ed. That literally sprung up overnight, 1979, Jimmy Carter. So when we want to do something, we can literally do it overnight. But see, Carla, that's what I mentioned earlier. Is there a will? Yeah, that's that's what I I think. I don't don't necessarily see this as all of a mind issue. I think that, for instance, (laughs) I'm not a big fan, although, again, I think that trainings are good. I think trainings are good. I think T-shirts are good. I'm not a big fan of going to trainings and have a bunch of plaques over your wall that say you've yeah. gotten every training, but then you know, I can't see the fruit from it. The same way Correct. I'm not a fan of people who are T-shirt woke only, right? And so I put that in air quotes. T-shirt for the people woke t- only. T-shirt woke oh, only, right? I like so, it. Mm-hmm. And I only mention that because these things that we're addressing, uh, go back to what I mentioned earlier about when I'm doing a public presentation, I may leave with the challenge of if everything that I've suggested to you is in this uh, talk is true, then what do you think about African-Americans? Are we born criminal? Are right. we born people who are not as smart? 
And those things speak to some of the worst parts of racism, right? The belief yes. that people are inferior or have some type of negative defect that we cannot come together to fix. Correct. I don't buy that because I know that clearly I live it. That's not who I am. But even mm-hmm. though I recognize that the heart of the nation is sick, and I'm just going to say that plainly. And so I think that what we're seeing in terms of our educational outcomes, while disappointing, I can't say that they're surprising because when you look at the certain level of divisiveness we have in the country, talk about these uh, re- destroying the wheel, recalibrating yes. how we do it, whatever it is, yes. we need to get our hearts right. I'm just being plain about it. And I yeah, think that yeah, our yeah. hearts as a nation, it, it's sad to say that we live in a society to where if you look at the New York public school system in terms of what they do in New York City and how competitive it is even to get in certain places, yes. public or private, or you yes. can even think about it on a smaller scale in your hometown, wherever you are today. The reality of it all is, is that do we not know that we live in this world where we have inequities built in the way all five-year-olds don't have the same shot? Yeah. And I think that if I'm asking people that question, honestly, with a little bit of truth serum, most people know better. <laughs> and so if, if, so, so if you know better, then the question then becomes, it doesn't, then I'm sorry, then it points me to this point, Carla, and that's all I really wanted to get at. It doesn't yeah. matter what we say if the heart is sick. If the heart okay. is sick and the heart is saying, you know what, damn it, I'm okay with that. I just, yeah. I, as long as it's not my kid. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah. No, no, I totally agree. I, yeah, I think I said this recently. Yeah. No, I think I said this recently where it's like, I think we are okay as a nation with. Yeah, and by so, the way, you know. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted—I didn't want to lose this point real quick before you transition. Yeah, yeah. I'll be—I'll be brief. But you know, it's the old—the old Michael Douglas line from Wall Street is still true, right? Greed is good. I mean, I really do think that a lot of it boils down to that in terms of how we look at the allocation of resources. But I do have some yeah. practical tips. I know you've been dying for them, so I'm gonna give you a couple right now, right? <laughs> so, These yeah, are yeah. things. That you can just jot down and say, if you want to make a difference, and if we were serious about doing it, these are some things yes. that we could do immediately. All right, we I've got my pen. Care. Okay, here I've you got, go. I'm, right, I'm taking notes. Got my pen. All right, okay, here we go. And Professor, I held up Professor, a pen for everyone who can't <laughs> Professor yes. Miller is in the house right now, right? <laughs> yes, okay, number yes. one, mm-hmm. dig a deeper pipeline, right? So that idea that I mentioned earlier, just kind of floating it out there about if I wanted to create and be purposeful about creating more doctors, scientists, social workers, teachers that really yeah. embrace, that really, um, when we send kids to school, are we not sending them to school with a, with a, with a false sense of security that we're telling them that this education matters if no matter how hard they work, they never end up seeing themselves on top? So number one is just digging, digging that pipeline as deep as you can. And I would say go as far as you can. Right now around the country, we're having these wild debates about whether or not critical race theory should be, quote unquote, taught to elementary school kids. And to which I ask these people, have you ever oh, been to boy. elementary school classroom? Yeah. Because there's just so many other things going on that is definitely not anything about critical race theory yeah, um, that's going to be impacting those kids at that level. But the yeah. fear of that drives these conversations so that people are actually putting policies in place to stop something from being taught. Because that has never been taught in elementary Middle, high school, undergrad. Right. But I want to show you something, Carl. That's what I'm saying. What that does is that points to a heart issue. People are willing to get together in large numbers and say, we will protest against something happening that hasn't happened yet, just in case it happens, because we don't want our kids exposed to that. You see how loud that voice is? That voice is so loud that it's actually impacting policies. So that's my point. That's my point, though, John. Things can happen like that. Something can happen overnight. So how? Why can't the converse happen overnight? 
because when you are on the other side of folks who don't necessarily have the time, energy, or resources to go to any type of public hearing, because you may be working two to three jobs, <laughs> taking care of these kids, and all these other things that is hard to separate from educational access. So that's number one. Dig the pipeline as deep as you can, and all of the programs that are already in place need to just be undergirded with more people, more support. That's number one. Dig, the, dig yeah. the pipeline as deep as you can because you never know how many gyms you're going to find until you look for them. Number two, once I've dug the pipeline and now I've made a decision, then I need to go ahead and support that. And so don't say that you want to have all of these mentoring programs. <laughs> Again, on a, on a former podcast, I, I yeah. enjoyed the laugh with you when we talked about, <laughs> oh, kids need more mentors. Yes, kids yeah. do need more mentors. But, but, if, mm -hmm. but if communities were serious about being a mentor, would being a mentor even be volunteer? You're crying out Correct. loud. You want to have a real creative idea? How about pay people to mentor? You'd be amazed how many people sign up to be a mentor and would go through all of the training it would take to do it too Correct. if that was going to be something that we really had them hard to do. Number three, when young people are in their impressionable stages, right? So when I say young people, I say it from the guise of when I was in fourth grade, I remember when the dare of you, I don't know yes. if you remember yes, when yes, dare, yes. The, so the, the cops would come to school and they would have all of these cool things and it was all the kind of uh, encourage you to stay off drugs. Well, yes. if we were worried about fourth graders using drugs back in the 80s, I can't imagine what the worries are now with the world being so much faster. But if we mm -hmm. cared enough about drugs in the war on drugs to start showing kids early, then why don't we care enough about these wars on these other matters that go beyond drugs, that go beyond your life, your, your expectations for yourself, your family, and what you can do with a goal and a dream and a supportive network to help you? I would like us to end on this note. I think this idea, and I haven't thought of it this way, John, so thank you, this intentionality. Where am I going to put my efforts? And so I think, I hope I have been this summer a voice of something needs to change because I'm tired of having the same conversations. I'm, I'm tired of talking about the same things. I'm tired of doing the same things because those don't work. So I've, I've changed how my organization works. I've changed I think how I also work and who I work with. Um, okay. so, and I so Carla, think I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I have oh, oh, no, to. I have something for you. I, oh, I got oh, okay. Something for you. I've got, I've got more right. paper. No, no. Here's the gift. All right. Here's the gift for you to, to close okay. it up. I okay. will encourage you uh, in the words of uh, an elder, right? Someone who recently passed on, but I think that their legacy uh, should be encouraging to you in terms of everything you were just summarizing there. Don't lose the value of all of the, the, the cracks you're making in these ceilings by having these conversations and pushing the ball forward. Um, even as uh, Dean, I actually have a couple, I have a meeting I'm going in this afternoon now where a couple of the things that we talked about today will influence what I share in that meeting, or I will be in a room to have an opportunity to manage up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. using that voice and having an influence. So don't, don't lose track of the power of all of those little cracks in the ceiling, because in the words of John Lewis, the late, great John Lewis, uh, there's nothing wrong with good trouble. There certainly yes. were a lot of days that much like our conversations, it can feel as though, is anyone listening? Is anything yeah. moving forward? But yes. I promise you, at the end of the day, it had impact, okay? And okay. this is the way. And so like, relax, relate, release, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. I'm but, always uh, on. But, uh, or as the kids trouble. say, I'm always at 100. Is that what they, good. do kids even say that anymore? I'm so old. Yeah, you know, they're on some new stuff right now. Right now, you and I are having this podcast conversation, but who's to say that it won't be discovered or Columbused by right. someone 10, 15 years from now. And, then, and they're going to go. Yeah, there was, I put that in air quotes, by the way, for folks who can't see, they're listening to the podcast. Uh, at the end of the day, as a daddy with, of two boys, 
that are the life that we are trying to lead are ones to where their future is my top priority. And so I'm willing to do whatever it takes for the world to be more manageable for them and for them to have more opportunity. And yeah. so that is where those are the moments to where you never know where you're going to be playing that role for someone to encourage them. So are you going to be a part of the problem or are you going to be a part of the solution? Yeah, I posit that everyone like- channel John Lewis and can be a part of this good trouble that Carla Hulse and her team are trying to be a part of over here. <laughs> and with that, I will end <laughs> school. This has been, and it always is, I always have aha moments when you and I talk. So this, this intentionality is really sitting with me. It's, I think it's going to help me continue on. Because again, this work, all of this work, I think it's, it can be um, exhausting and um, overwhelming. And so I think this intentionality and resilience will be something I take away. So couldn't have asked for a better last, uh, last podcast. So thank I want to so thank much, you Bob. again. Yeah, no, thank you so much for doing the show. And thank you listeners for joining me today and also this whole summer and um, giving me the opportunity to come into your iPhones, your laptops, wherever people <laughs> listen to podcasts. Sometimes it may have seemed, um, you know, that these problems are uh, too vast and too difficult and too complex. But I think, as as John said, there are solutions. There are answers to these big pressing problems. And it may not happen overnight. But if we are intentional with what we do, with how we spend our time, with who we share our time with and our expertise and our ideas, we can be the change that we want to see in the world. So um, join me again next summer when we tackle the aftermath of COVID-19. So with that, I want you all to have a wonderful school year and goodbye. Thank you for listening. Schooled with Carla Hulse is available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.